Good morning. Good morning. Glad you're here. Uh, glad you've joined us. There is a lot of sickness going around, so we do need to remember those uh, with the flu and the flu bug and uh, Leslie's coughing and all that to that God's healing would be with them and remember those in your prayers throughout the week this week um, for all the kids. I know they canceled school last week and uh, still hearing lots of rumors of a lot more kids sick too. So I remember all the kids that are sick. Um, this is week four of the Red Letter Challenge uh, sermon series as we're going through as a church uh, group and we're so grateful for this opportunity to be able to uh, get everybody on one page and stay uh, within all aspects of the church from children's church to youth group to adults uh, following along the same path learning the same things and it, it is a challenge as Leslie mentioned a few minutes ago um, and truly is challenging as you're reading through these things that you'll see um, how hard it is to be uh, the person you desire to be even though we know to be that and uh, a good challenge is good for everyone. Um, as a church, we have uh, repositioned ourselves a little bit, and uh, we went through a year-long process of learning uh, through the leadership group, uh, different principles, different things about church, and uh, in renaming to the bridge, uh, one of the main reasons that we come to that conclusion uh, that uh, if people ask you, and there has been a lot of people in the community even asking, why did you change the name and all that? And uh, look at your neighbor and say, because we couldn't say Bethesda. Tell your neighbor, because we couldn't say Bethesda. Uh, it's really uh, one of those names that just in the Bible, and we're grateful that the church was named that because it was named after a pool in uh, Jerusalem and how that it meant healing and a lot of things, and we still believe that. But the bridge is about... Um, the reason we come to that name was because we want to bridge things. And bridge generations is a big part of that that we talked about in our leadership group of how that we want uh, our church to be a church for all ages, that nobody is any better than anybody else. And I don't know if you saw this past week, but there was multiple um, news agencies and uh, I, I saw uh, church people sharing it and uh, there's a church up in Minnesota. It's a, I think it was a uh, Methodist church that uh, they're closing down. They're closing the church, and uh, the youngest person in the congregation of about 25 people was uh, the youngest person there was 60 years old, and they're closing that church, and they're going to restart the church. Uh, I think in the fall, the way the article that I read is on WSAZ and a lot of different things, and it said that when they restart that. Uh, Young people, they're kind of going after young couples and young people to restart the church and that the old people couldn't reapply for membership for two years. Just kind of sad. And we as a church, I want you to know where, where we uh, as our church and our congregation, our leadership stands on this, that uh, as the bridge, we want to bridge generational gaps. So I thank God for the elders and those with gray hair and blue hair and no hair uh, in our congregation. Amen. So anybody that's older than 60, I want you to stand, if you will. Anybody older than 60, uh, and I know you're not supposed to talk about women's age, so we ain't going to say how old that is. But if you're older than 60, please stand 
Uh, I know Frances is older than 60. She's my grandma. So let's give these elders in our congregation a hand. The Bible says give honor to whom honor is due, and we honor you for your wisdom and for your age and all your, that you offer uh, to your society. And um, we thank you. You can be seated. And these people serve. I know uh, just all the different things of the ones standing uh, and all the service that they've had to the community, to the church, and to the world that they live in. And uh, I appreciate uh, the seniors. And we don't want to leave the young people out either. We love young people too. We're grateful to have a church because, and I, I brag all the time when somebody asks about what is your church like that uh, people that's never attended here or maybe they live far off or something that I come in contact with, and they say, what's your church like? I say, well, we're a church of everybody. And we really are, that there's newborn babies and we're going to a, a birthday party to, uh, this afternoon for one of the people at church. A uh, new couple just started coming, wasn't too long ago. A little girl turned them one years old. So we got newborns to one-year-olds to people down there in the nursery that's up to the age of five that's got several kids in that. We got... The children's church has got kids from 5 to 12, and there's a slew of those running around. And Vanceburg camps literally a while ago, when they left out of the building hall, go about half the church left. And it's pretty awesome to watch them go through that door. And uh, just as a congregation as a whole, that they're there. The teenagers that Dustin and they meet with on uh, Sunday nights, they're here. And uh, just grateful to have teenagers and a youth group. And then 20-year-olds, 30-year-olds, there's 40-year-olds, there's 50-year-olds, 60-year-olds, 70-year-olds, 80-year-olds. I don't think we have any 90-year-olds yet, but we hope our 80-year-olds all live into their 90s, and then we'll get to move into that market. So we'll expand our territory at that point. But we do love uh, bridging generations, and, uh, and we do accept your wisdom. And uh, Sister Joanne opened her home for this Red Letter Challenge, and Sister Joanne's in her 80s, and uh, she opened her home, and she's having a, a connection group at her house. And it's pretty awesome that an 80-year-old is still giving in the church and participating and being a part. And it's just uh, we're so grateful for her and all she's doing to give to help us along this process of Red Letter Challenge. So we're grateful for it. This is week four, though, and uh, we've been bridging between items of these uh, challenge that we're going through as a church and this week uh, we've been going through the entire week and the week has been about serving and how that we are looking at uh, serving according to scripture serving according to what God thinks serving is and uh, the challenge this week has been really challenging about uh, doing something that you haven't done before and not just do it in words but do it in deeds that it's truly about action steps um, and it's amazing uh, how many people have missions, uh, statements, and vision statements, and they'll have core values, and they'll have all these things, but they never really do anything. So an organization that has spends a lot of time on planning and preparing and doing all that stuff and having meetings about having meetings, uh, but never accomplishing anything, it's really of no value or of no use. So as a church, when we went through this year-long process, we the leadership team sat down and we talked about how that our vision statement and mission statement before was to love God, love people, and that we was all about the great commission and the great commandment. We still believe that to be true, that there is a great commission in scripture that Jesus told us to go into all the world, preach the gospel to all creatures and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We, we believe in doing that as a church. 
And also we had the great commandment, and that's where uh, they come to Jesus and said, well, what, what should we do, and what sh how should we act, and what should we be going about doing? And he said, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So that's the great commandment that Jesus gave, the best two out of all ten. He said, if you do those two, you'll fulfill all ten of the ten commandments. So we still believe in those things, but we changed our mission statement now as a church that we are becoming Christ-like by learning together and serving others. How many wants to be Christ-like? Amen. Amen. I want to be like Jesus. I want to have actions like Jesus. And I think if you sum up Jesus' whole entire life that he lived when he was on this earth, you will see as you read through the Gospels that you're studying about Jesus, and if we're looking at red letters, that's what we're talking about, is Jesus himself, that you'll see that 99% of the things he done was those two things. He was either learning together with others or he was serving. And that's the things that he wants us to do. So if we're going to be Christ-like, those are the two main things I really believe that we have to do. And to learn together, you have to be a part of together. You can't learn together if you're not together. So that's what these connection groups are about, is about us assembling ourselves together through the week and not just coming to a worship service. And this is really a celebration time. The reason you come to Sunday service is to celebrate what all God has done this past week in your life. And this is a celebration that we uh, can worship together and come to God with open hearts and open minds and, and hear a message that maybe challenge us for the next week. And that's what we're here to do. So learning together and serving others. So this whole week about serving has really been in alignment with our mission statements as a church. And if you're not together, you can't learn together. And it's amazing to me that when we come to Sunday morning service that we uh, get to spend a few minutes before the service. Maybe you come in five minutes early or maybe ten minutes early. Maybe you come in five minutes late or ten minutes late. So it's not a whole lot of together time. You might sit around for a minute or two and get to converse a little bit. And then right after church, when we dismiss, like Leslie said, some people runs out like the building's on fire and can't get out the door fast enough, and we're all busy, amen? It's, it's just the way it is. We take off and go, and uh, so there's not a lot of together time after service. So literally during the service, you're either listening to Leslie sing praise and worship and you joining in that a little bit. We're doing that together. Or you're sitting here listening to me Bible on for 35, 40 minutes and talk about some point. So you don't get to give your two cents worth. And everybody has two cents worth. And I believe that us sharing together during these connection groups allows more people to have an opportunity to share and pick up the burden of others. Because in these groups, you will learn things about others that maybe you didn't know about them. And it's amazing to me just this past uh, three or four weeks that we've been going through this as a church, the Red Letter Challenge, that we're meeting together in these connection groups. And I've been to uh, two different ones so far, uh, different groups meeting in different places. And I'm going to try to get to the other ones before we're done here with this uh, challenge and try to meet with all these people and, and getting to learn people and learn things about people because people open up in a small group more than they will if we opened up the whole floor today. Some people don't like talking in front of crowds. So if you're in a group with six or eight people, it's easier to communicate. It's easier to talk. And I've learned things about people that I didn't know. And it's an easier way to share a burden. 
as a church, people don't like talking in front of people that much, so some people need prayer. Some people's in a valley-type place of their life right now that they need prayer about some situations going on. Other people in our congregation are on mountaintops that are in a high point of life, that, you're, that everything's going really well, and it's all going according to what you want, and it's good times. So the deal is about these small groups and connection points is that the people that's on the mountaintop can reach the people in the valley and say, I'll pray with you. I'm in a high point of life right now, and I don't look down on you. I'm looking down to lift my hand down to say, here, come up here. I would rather you be on the mountain. Because whenever you're on top, you're pulling people up. But there comes a point in your life that you're not always going to be on a mountain. Amen? There's points where that in our life that, that, that life just kicks us in the teeth and, and the enemy comes in raging like a roaring lion, the Bible says, that he wants to devour, he wants to tear apart, he wants to tear you down. And there's low points in our life where that we've got these highs and these lows. And when you're in a low, you need somebody on a mountain to be there to encourage you, to strengthen you. Amen. So as a church and connection groups, that's what that is about, is for us to connect, to learn together, learn about each other, where we're at in life, and to encourage each other. I really believe in them. And it's not just saying that to get people to attend something. I really believe it makes you a better person. I really believe that it helps your Christianity to be more Christ-like when you learn together. But also about serving others. Man, Jesus served better than anybody in the history of the world. He served people that other people let go. And it's literally the story of Bethesda. When Jesus walks into Jerusalem, he didn't take the same gate that everybody else did. He come in through a different gate than what normal affluent people or people with position would go through. And as he come into this little community, there was a community there known as Bethesda, and that's where sick people laid. And Jesus would go through there, and when he went through there, he seen this guy having this issue that nobody would ever get him in. He said, I can't get in the water. Everybody else gets in in front of me. There's people in our culture, in our society, that are like that guy. That are left behind. And Christians, as a Christian, if we're serving others, will do what Jesus did. He could have walked right on by, went on up to the high point, went to the temple and prayed and lifted his hands and worshipped and done all those things. But Jesus stopped. And he looked down at that guy. And he told him, take up your mat and go walk. This guy was paralyzed for years, laying on a mat, and couldn't do anything for himself, and Jesus helped him. That's who we are to be as a church. And if we serve others, we'll be like Jesus. It will make us Christ-like. We are 26 days into this 40-day challenge, though, so that means we've got 14 days left. We're going to end on a Sunday in a couple of weeks, and it's going to, I really look forward to that Sunday. And we're learning how to put Jesus' words into practice. And I'm grateful for this book. I'm grateful for this author. But we're building bridges between one point and another throughout the process of this book. So it's being, forgiving, serving, giving, and going is the five main topics that this author writes about through Jesus' words. So we've built a bridge between each of those. And this week, we're building a bridge between serving and giving. Everybody say serving, serving. giving. Okay, so we're going to build a bridge between those two. And this was really a complicated one for me because I really believe that they're both similar, similar in a lot of ways. 
that there's a lot of similarities between serving and giving. So to build a bridge between these two is not a very long bridge. Amen? There's a lot of difference between a bridge across Hackworth Holler and there is a bridge across the Ohio River or that there is a bridge across the Mississippi. There's different types of bridges. There's different lengths of bridges. So this bridge is pretty short. So I don't think there's a lot of difference between serving and giving. But I thought, well, if I had to define what's these two terms, Ben-isms, what would I define these two things to be, and how are they different? I think serving is actually giving of oneself and one's time. So that's part, that is giving, right? But then, well, what would I define giving as? I think giving is more giving of one's treasures or one's things. So over here, I'm offering my time. Over here, I'm offering my stuff. That's the bridge. So I got a bridge between those two somehow, some way, some shape. So that's my goal here today is to bridge those two things. And in bridging generations, I think it helps us to see that there's times to serve and there's times to give. And they are really two different things. So our seniors know how to do these things because in life they've understood these two things, that there was a season of your life where that you were sharing your time and there's other parts of your life that you were sharing treasures. And if we want to learn from them, if we want to hear from them, then we've got to give value to their life, give value to what they say, and we can't be a church that says you can't be a member for two years because we don't like the way you think. We, we have to uh, cherish diversity. Amen? I think the more diverse we are, the more holistic we are as what God sees the world. I don't believe when we get to heaven that he's going to have a camp and say, well, you know, all, all the black people go over here and all the Caucasians go over here and all the Orientals over here and, and all the, 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 the Hispanics, I want you over here. He's not going to break us up in groups. He's going to say there's one big heaven and we're all invited and we're all going to sing Kumbaya standing side by side saying worship the king, right? I think that's the way it'll be. So I believe in diversity. And I believe the older people get, the more that they can allow diversity in their life. That maybe they thought th uh, thoughts before about people and segments of society that they give up on the older they get and the more wise they become that they can see and say, I was thinking foolishly. So really this whole sermon today, what I'm going to try to get at, is to help you to give some things away. So my main goal is to help you give some things away. And the reason I'm saying that is because we all have too many things. Amen? The author of this book, he gives me some talking points to go through. Uh, that He gives a sermon outline, and I read them, but I, I can't preach somebody else's sermon. I've got to preach my own. So I, I'll look at it. I read them. I try to get the best version of it I can to help me along my journey in preaching to our church. And uh, in his points, he talks about how that there, I think it was 78% of uh, America is living paycheck to paycheck. How many feels the pain of that? Amen. That if you go a couple weeks without a paycheck, you'll, it's going to get desperate pretty quick. And uh, talking about how that, um, you know, that, they're super rich. There's a lot of class differences and all this stuff. And 
I actually looked up, and he, he didn't have in his talking points, but there was, I think there's 2,100 billionaires in the world. 2,100 billionaires. Uh, only 200, I think 230-something, I think it's 233, is women. That's a difference. So there's a diversity in gender, right, in the world. That's proven through that statistic. So as we see this, and as I thought about billionaires, I thought, are they really giving? Are they really giving? I don't know. So that challenged me to think through this a little bit. So I begin to think about all, and it's easy to point fingers at the rich, right? It's easy to point fingers at Bill Gates or Jeff Bezos or Mark Zuckerberg or whoever. We can point our fingers at the Koch brothers or whoever we want to. We can point fingers at a lot of billionaires. You know, you know their names because they're so affluent in the world, right? But the deal is, how rich am I? So in the first week of this challenge, it taught us about how that if you make more than 40000 a year, that you're literally in the top 1% of the world. And it's like, eh, I don't know about all that. How many, how many feels like you're in the top percent wealth of the world, that you're the wealthiest people in the world? No. I, I feel like I'm barely making it, right? I'm bar I've got my head above water, but it feels like I'm bobbing sometime and I'm sucking some water in. That's the way it feels. But he's saying that really in reality, if you look at the world through God's eyes, you're some of the richest people in the world. Amen. So I begin to think through that. If I can point fingers at everybody else, but that means I've got three fingers pointing back at me, right? Everybody knows that, right? When you point at somebody else, there's three pointing back at you. So you need to look at yourself. So as I began to look at myself, I was thinking, well, you know, i got a lot of stuff. Amen. i got a lot of stuff. I'm a hoarder. They could literally make a movie, one of them TV shows, hoarders, they could come to Ben's and, and they would classify me as a hoarder. I've got some kind of issue or something. You know, I, can't, I, I ain't giving anything away. I'll keep bent nails. Amen? Anybody with me? I got bent nails. I got them in a bucket over there in the garage. I hide them from Leslie so she don't throw them away on me. And I, I really love my bent nails, apparently. I don't know. It's craziness. John, you're with me. I know you are. I can't, I can't throw anything away. But literally yesterday, uh, we was going to this event, this Lincoln Reagan dinner, and got invited to that, and, and we went to it, and I was going in to get my, my uh, suit coat on, and my suit coats are in the other bedroom. Because in our bedroom, last, we don't have a big house. It's a little, it's not a little house compared to the world, people living in a mud hut. If I said I had a little house, they'd be mad at me. So we have a, it's just a ranch-style house, 1,200-some square foot, three-bedroom, little house. But literally, there's a walk-in closet in the master bedroom. So it's like awesome. We got a, we got a walk-in closet. I mean, we've really made it in, in the world of, you know, we're, we're, we've, we're there. So this walk-in closet, literally like all this side of it and more than half of it this way is mine. So I got two-thirds. Leslie's got a third. Just, I'm just telling the truth. I'm picking on Ben. I, I'm more point, fingers pointing back than there is pointing out. So uh, I, I can't put my suit jackets in there because then there, I would take over the whole closet, literally. So I got my suit jackets in the other bedroom, the guest bedroom, that we can't have anything guest in there because there's junk everywhere in there. So, um, well, we, we can scoot it back a little bit and, 
Karen Ernie comes over and stays with us sometimes, and Leslie will scoot junk back enough where they got a little walkway to get to their bed. Uh, so uh, I was in there, and I, I was going to get this suit jacket. Wherever I looked, she's got stuff on that bed piled up, literally three or four foot high on the bed. I was like, the, one, the thing on top, because I know how she is. She throws stuff away when I'm not there. Because I won't let her throw anyway. She burns my stuff. That's just the way it is. So, and I looked, and she she had went through my shirts after Christmas, and one of my shirts I wear all the time. She was a girl. I mean, you never wear that. Well, she was throwing one away that I wear. And I looked at that pile, Dennis, and I was like, "That's my shirt. I, you can't throw that away. You can't give that away. That's mine." I missed it when I seen it. Yeah, I'm, I'm better off not to see it because I, I can't I can't do away with it, right? Yeah. So I, I just got to digging through the pile, and man, there's all kinds of shirts in there that I wear. It's like I, I'm I'm not going to have anything to wear. How many of us has way too much stuff, but we go around and say I don't have anything to wear? Women, you're worse than men. I know you are. I, I I don't have anything to wear. You're right. I've got enough clothes for a tribe of people. I could have a whole group of, I, I could probably clothe Garrison if I wanted to. <laughs> so as I was in there looking through that, I'm like, man, I got a lot of stuff. And then that's not enough room either because now it's not just my closet or the closet in the spare bedroom that's full of my suit jackets. Now I got another group of jackets that's in the hallway closet. Has anybody got a hallway closet? Hey Amen. I got, we got a hallway closet. So it was built for the furnace, but they put the furnace underneath so we could have a closet there. So now we bought this house and we got a hallway closet. So now all that, literally there's two rails in it and literally the whole top rail is my coats. So I can wear a different jacket every day of the week for probably a month and never wear the same jacket. And then on the bottom rail of that, that it, half of that one's mine. And then there's other, you know, there's about a foot there for Leslie. She gets that many coats and she hollers at me, you got too many jackets. I'm like, my mom buys them. Don't it's not me. Blame it on Bonnie, right? I just point fingers everywhere else. So now it's not enough to have a, a walk-in closet, guest room closet, hallway closet, and there, now there's stuff out in literally our garage. We got a garage on our house. You know, back in the 1900s, a real old house, you walk into them, and everybody's like, oh, we can't buy this house. It's got, look at these little bitty closets. Imagine what those people did a hundred years ago. They had a little bit of closets. You know them houses, don't you? The old house you walk in, it's down on the front street in town, and little bitty old closets. I don't, they couldn't have put a hat in there. It's crazy. And we look at it and we think, what's wrong with that generation? Maybe they had wisdom. But now that our garage is full, everybody knows this too, that you can't just have a garage plus a walk-in closet plus a guest room closet plus a hallway closet plus the garage now you've got to get into the attic right you got this pull down door big fancy ladder drops out of it automatically and then you go up in and you store boxes up in your attic and then we got a barn across the street that I converted into more of a garage over there because we didn't have enough room in our other garage so now I got a barn across the street with concrete floor over there and now much of stuff stuff's in it and I literally I can't even go through it I, I have to go over and move stuff around to work on one thing it's crazy Literally crazy. But now that's not good enough, and I've never got this far, but there is people that get this far, that goes beyond that even. Now in America, 
pretty sure it was 5,600 that he, he, he wrote about it in his statistic. I think it's 5,600 uh, storage uh, like lockers, like Greg's got over here out back of his shop. So people now, bigger closets, garages, attics, all this stuff, and it still ain't room to hold all their stuff, and then they go get storage lockers. And they put stuff in there, and sometimes, I, hopefully, it's, I, if you're guilty, you're guilty. I, I've not done that yet, but I ain't saying I ain't capable because I, I, I could probably fill one up real easy. Um, not pointing any fingers at anybody. I'm just saying, and I'm not trying to put Greg and Donna out of business either. They got a business over here, so if you need a storage locker, see Greg Hall. He'll, he'll hook you up. Uh, they're usually full, though. He have to, you get them a waiting list just to get in storage lockers. But it's kind of crazy how the, we have so much stuff, right? And then we wonder, why are we living paycheck to paycheck? Those old generations, they didn't need stuff to make them happy. So the more misery and the more debt we bring on ourselves, the, the, I read two articles this week in two different magazines, and those two articles talked about how the financial stress impacts your health more than you even know. And then in this guy's study that I was reading through his sermon that he was talking about, how that it affects marriages, one of the biggest arguments that happens in a marriage and causes separations and causes divorces and all that stuff. It's, it's, it used to be infidelity. Now it's about money. Most marriages fail because of money issues. And it impacts health, though. And that kind of struck me. I was like, so you mean we get sick, literally, with our physical body because of financial decisions we're making? Stress affects you. Amen? Amen. You've learned that in your health courses. I'm certain that there's a lot of things that stress will make you think you're having a heart attack. It's crazy what stress will do. And finances do that, and it's crazy. I don't, I don't like talking about finances at church, and here I am talking about it. Sorry. But as we're talking about giving, I can't talk about giving, not talk about finances. be hard, right? So my goal is to help you give things away. I, whenever I'm going to share a sermon about giving, I, I don't like talking about finances, so I can only go one direction. I can get you to give some of your stuff away. So I'm going to commit. I'm giving things away this week. I'm not going to give money away because I, I don't have extra money to give away, but I got a lot of things, right? So I just want to talk about two things that I've given away in, in, in my history after becoming a Christian that God asked me to give away. Uh, one of them was when I first became a Christian, I, I would go around and I went to all different kinds of churches, and if there was a church revival list in the newspaper, I would just go. I didn't, it didn't matter the denomination, it didn't matter anything. I walked in all kinds of churches and just would sit through revivals and Love to be around God's people and see the diversity and the different ways of worshiping and hymnals versus praise and worship versus Gaither Quartets. I've been through it all. I've seen it all. I love diversity in that. But I was around this young man, and he, he had just graduated high school, and he, he, he was really poor. His, his family was poor. He didn't really have anything. And he, he would go around, and he was like an evangelist and preach, and I loved him dearly. He was one of my dear friends. And... I, I was working and, you know, making pretty decent money, a good, good paying job that God blessed me with, that nothing of my doing, it's him. And uh, I, had, I had a truck that I'd bought. I had a new truck. And I had a work car. So I was driving this little car, a little Cavalier, really good car, low miles, got a real good deal on it. And I was driving this Cavalier back and forth to work. 
And as I was thinking about my friend and, and praying, and God spoke to me and said, give him your car. This is when it gets real. When God asks you to give big, it's easy to throw $5 in the offering plate or $2 in the offering plate or whatever. That's easiness. But when God challenges you, and that's what our challenge is about, challenges. So God asked me to give it away, and I was like, are you uh, Q-tips? And, you know, I don't know if I'm hearing this thing right. And God said, no, I, I need you to give Daniel your car. His is broke. He's wanting to go preach. He cannot get around. Give him your car. And I, I'll never forget pulling up in Slade Holler Church, Pudnett Park, walking in, knowing what I'm getting ready to do. And this is one of them wild Pentecostal wide open, I mean, they're wildfire. Dennis Biker, he's been there. I mean, they're wildfire. Right? They're, I love it, though. I, I love all different types of church, but it, really amazing service, and Daniel's one of them preachers, I mean, he'd sweat. He'd, his whole attire would turn into sweat, literally, in preaching. And at the end of the service, we walk outside, and just he's got the biggest heart that, of anybody I know. And uh, doing it for God. And whenever I, I looked at him, I said, uh, Daniel, here's your car. And I gave him the title. And I signed the back of it. And I said, this is your car. The joy it brings to give. You guys know this. The Bible says it's better to give and receive. And you know what it's like to give. And it's the most awesome feeling in the world. He didn't even want to receive it. He said, I can't take your car. I said, you're going to because God told me to give it to you. I gave him my car. And I'm not bragging on me. I'm bragging on the God of the universe that sees needs and asks people to give things to help his kids. Daniel is one of his children. And our Heavenly Father in heaven knew if he's got more than enough, then he can help give to the one that needs. And I, I love Daniel. I still love Daniel. Every time I see him, it's just like... Sometimes we can be away from each other for sometimes two, three, four years. I'll come back in contact with him, and it's like we never missed a day. He's my brother in Christ. I love him dearly. And it was an awesome opportunity to get to do that. Another time I was an associate pastor at a church in Orangeburg, and uh, God called me there. I, I went through this journey of life, and, and I was an associate pastor. had a great pastor, and uh, there was a pastor in Vanceburg that was – working in his barn with a come-along, and the come-along broke, and it come through, and it literally come completely through and shattered every bone in his leg. I mean, it was awful. There's a section of bone missing that much, and they, uh, I heard about it, heard, heard about stuff he was going through, and, and God asked me to go help him, just to go serve him. And he didn't have an associate pastor. He didn't have anybody else in the church that was really ministering at the time. And I, 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 God told me to go. So I went to my pastor, told my pastor, I'm going to go over there to that church, and I'm going to help serve that pastor so that he can get through this trying time of his life, and I'm going to go serve. I was giving of myself. I wanted to be with my church family, but God told me, go here. So I would go over to this church. This pastor preach. He would preach Sunday mornings from a wheelchair, and literally there was rods hanging out of his legs. This song, like a big halo, which you see sometimes on people's head, it was on his leg, holding his legs stiff so that the bones could grow back together. 
it was months long. Two, three surgeries, just awful, the things he went through. And I got to stand by his side and help him through that process. And it's great when you get to serve. It's awesome opportunity to get to serve. And listen to God when he tells you to move, move. When he tells you to go, go. When he tells you to give, give. That's what you do. But when I was there at this church, I thought, I love the same as God. I love our organization. I love what we do. We're not a denomination. We're just a fellowship of people that gives to missionaries. I love missionaries. You know that if you've been around me at all. And I was there, and this pastor invited a missionary to come from South America. And this missionary comes in, and he's a, a great guy, and he, he, he's preaching his message, and, and he's talking about some things and talking about the area that he's serving in and this South American uh, country and how many hardships are there and all this stuff and I was sitting there in a seat and I, I was working overtime at the time and Brandon you know what it's like the overtime checks are the good checks right John you we like overtime checks so I, I was doing pretty good and had money extra money at the time and and uh, things was going really good for me and this is a mountaintop versus a valley experience and uh, as I was sitting in the in a pew and listened to this missionary speak God told me to take one I had a paycheck an entire paycheck and it was Twelve hundred and some dollars for a week, and that's a lot of money. And my every week paychecks not twelve hundred dollars a week. Don't take me that way. That's overtime. That's the the good checks. And I, I was sitting there, and God said, "Take it up and sign the back of it and give it to him." I don't know about you, but I don't like si working six or seven days a week, getting my paycheck, and then signing the back of it and giving it to somebody else. That's that, it's like I don't know God. And he says, do it. And, what, and God told me what to tell him. That it wasn't for him. It was to buy his wife a washing machine and a dryer. And in that culture, in that society where they was at, they literally had to have one shipped in to have a washer and dryer because they had kids and stuff. That's what God told me to give it to him for. I go up to the man after the service, sign the back of the check. Here it is. It's yours. Buy your wife this gift. I said, if it's not enough to cover it or whatever, then let me know and I'll make up the difference. And he said, you don't even know this is enough to have one shipped to our community and we will have a washer and dryer. It's that euphoric feeling we get when we give when it's God. And I'm not calling anybody in this room to go out and do stupid things. I'm just telling you from my experience, if you listen to God, he'll have you to give away some things from time to time. Don't think that he won't repay you back. The Bible says, give and it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and overflowing shall men give into your bosoms. I believe that God takes care of business and he takes care of his kids. And as a church, I'm preaching a sermon about giving and I don't want you to give anything extra to this church. I'm not asking you for anything extra because why? Because last year we took in money offerings all year long and at the end of the year, we paid every bill we had to pay. We're still in debt for this building here by a little bit. But we was, I think it's $53. We took in $53 extra dollars last year than we spent. How much closer can you get on that on a budget? That's awesome. That's God. So we just, I, I just trust him. So I'm not asking you to give anything extra here. God's going to take care of this house. I believe God built the bridge, and he'll continue to bless the bridge. I just believe that as a church, as a congregation, that God lays upon our heart what to do, and everybody giving a little, it helps the whole thing function, and it just works. I just, I'm not asking you to give anything else here. 
The thing I am asking you to do is this week is give something away. Things, not money, things. How many's got too much in your closet? How many's got too much stuff in your garage? <laughs> you don't need to give any money away because you're living paycheck to paycheck. 78% of us has proven we're living paycheck to paycheck. I'm not asking you to give your money away. Give something away. So, but I want you to pray about it. And I really want you to ask God and I really want you to dig in and say, show me, Father, somebody, one of your kids that's in need that can be blessed by something I can give them. And when I give them something that it'll bless their life and be what a great joy for them and for me in the fact of giving. Give something away. And the last thing in two minutes is this. This is something I think needs to be said to our culture and our society that I've never thought of it this way. But saving is giving. Everybody say that. Saving is giving. And what I'm saying is, there's a story in the Bible about Joseph. The Pharaoh called him, had a dream, asked Joseph to come and interpret the dream. Joseph tells him. God showed him uh, Pharaoh the picture. There's seven years of famine, followed by seven years of Seven years of plentiful, followed by seven years of famine. It was seven fat cows versus seven skinny cows. So it was interpreted to be that there's going to be good times and there's going to be bad times. How many's been through good times? How many's been through bad times? Amen. Amen. They both come, and that's the way it is. So sometimes your giving is saving. Because Joseph wanted something was for his family to be back together, and he wanted his family, and he loved his dad, he loved his brothers, even though they sold him into slavery, he loved them dearly, and he wanted them to be back around each other. So he begins this process, and, and Pharaoh tells him, you've got so much wisdom, Joseph, to show me this dream, now you're in charge. Build barns, and save grain, and do what you're called to do, and do what God tells you to do. So in saving, Joseph was actually giving an opportunity for the bad times to have enough stuff to get through, saved during the good times to get through the bad times. So if you know bad times are coming, we all know that's going to happen. The economy's booming right now. Everybody's bragging about the stock market and this and that and 401ks and yeah, whoopee, woo, yeah. How many remembers 9-11? That wasn't good times for the world and for financial markets. How many remembers the housing crisis in 08 when everybody was scared to death and the deep dive? The good times happen and bad times happen. And if you save during the good times, you'll have during the bad times. So you're giving by saving. And you never know who and what you're saving for. Because Joseph got his brothers back, he got his dad back, and he got to live the life he wanted to live. By saving. So if you'll stand with me, I want us to pray today for the Holy Spirit. To help us. And teach us. And show us. How to give. And how to serve. Everybody bow your head and close your eyes. Heavenly Father, we come to you in Jesus' name.
God, I pray as a congregation, as a church known as the bridge, here along this Ohio River, this little bitty communities that we live in, God, you have blessed us with so much stuff. blessed us with so many things God I pray that your Holy Spirit would lead and guide us in all truth just as you promised in your word so God I call upon you to send the Holy Spirit to quicken our mortal bodies Lord that we could serve and we could give in a way that makes us Christ like that we would become like your son Jesus And God, we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the best gift that was ever given to humanity in this world was the offering of sacrifice that Jesus made upon the cross of Calvary. That he humbled himself, he became a servant, and he offered his life, and he said, no man can take it, but I willingly lay it down. And when they gouged his hands and his feet with those sparks, he was giving for us. And when they jabbed that spear into his side and they placed that crown of thorns on his head and they beat him upon his back, it was a gift to us. So God, help us to be like him that we would serve and that we would give. So I pray that your Holy Spirit would quicken every person in this room and show them some of those things of extra, of plenty that they have and help us to be a people that shares. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.